I got given the advice, never give up. If you have an idea, if you don't do it, someone else will every time. And you will sit there and you'll go, I had that bloody idea and I didn't do it. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of In Melbourne Last Week, a conversation podcast where I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. My name is Ivan Pugioni. Last week, I spoke with Josh Kiff. He's the founder of fledgling music podcast network, Vibe Machine Media. My fellow Bass podcast co-host Stephen is also involved in that venture. Josh was also part of ticket booking website MoshTix before he became National Sales Director for Ingogo, Australia's third largest taxi booking service. He tells me about his journey from MoshTix to Ingogo, his passion for music, especially album art, and why he started Vibe Machine Media. It was a very insightful episode and I really learned quite a bit from Josh uh, based on his understandings of business and what to do if you have an idea and you want to keep it going. His advice is basically just to keep going and eventually someone will pick it up. So very sage advice. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a very good one. Here is my chat with Josh Kiff. Josh Kiff, thank you so much for joining me on a lovely evening. Uh, You're all the way in Sydney. So uh, how's it going up there? It is going um, surprisingly well, Ivan. It's, uh, It's quite warm. Uh, it's been a little bit chilly, but but this this evening's quite. Um, I'm, I feel a little bit hot, so that's nice. Yeah, because it is Anzac Day night. So uh, you had a did you have a busy day today? I did. I I didn't do much Anzac Day. I've got I've got three young kids, so ah, sure. getting getting those kids, uh, you know, anywhere is uh, is hard, especially in school holidays. They <laughs> they like their um they like their TV screens and their and their uh, phone screens and iPads and too much, but uh. But we did some stuff around the house, which was really cool. That's good. And what you're, about you? Oh, well, I was going to say, you're probably up at dawn most days, you know, especially during school anyway, <laughs> trying to get stuff ready for the kids. Um, I, I, I leave home at about six o'clock every morning to go to work, so I'm, I'm up pretty early. Oh, fair enough. Well, I actually, me, I um, I actually went with my partner because she um, she has like a garden plot at a community garden in, uh, in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, we just set up a... A shade cloth and a frame, and uh, yeah, we we were handy for like a couple of hours. A couple of millennials nice. doing some uh, labour, which is something you don't really see these days. No, no. Did did you take photos? Because uh, your parents would probably freak out. Oh yeah, we did actually. I think she put them Excellent. on Facebook already. So nice, uh, nice. Yeah, we get all the likes and say, "Is this a joke? Did you? Did, is this a stock <laughs> photo or something?" <laughs> you know, we'll probably get questions like, "Who who who did you pay to get that fixed?" Yeah. We get that. Do, Will your muscles hurt the next morning? That's the question. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I lifted, you know, some timber and stuff, but it wasn't. It wasn't really that bad. No, no. I think my muscles will be okay. I was just going to say because if you use muscles and you and you're not used to it, it's the next day. Even if you do one little thing, your muscles ache because your your body has never used those muscles or hasn't used them in a long time. That's right. Yeah, the lactic acid builds up. That's right. Smarter (laughs) than me. You know. You know the the scientific term which is pretty common knowledge but i don't know it oh, well, I, I learned it in fifth <laughs> thanks man i learned it in phys ed i think in year 10 <laughs> so nice yeah. Yeah. That. yes cool. um, so anyway um, so josh i was just saying in the introduction that you are um the founder of a couple of uh couple of things that are going on uh, in gogo and uh, vibe machine media but i guess before we do mm-hmm. get into those current uh, endeavors that you're going through at the moment um i, I gotta say a few years ago you were actually involved with uh the booking site mosh ticks uh which yes. is a pretty well-known brand in australia and they were were purchased mm-hmm. by uh, Rupert Murdoch and uh, News Corp. So, uh, what what was your uh, position over there at the time? So, I was the uh, business development manager. Um, in a in a really weird sort of way, I, I came to work from that. I 
Um, I moved to. I'm from Sydney, and I moved to Newcastle to be with my um, my girlfriend, who became my fiance, is now my beautiful wife. Oh, lovely! And we we moved up to help with her family's um, business, which was a holiday park in Nelson Bay. And it's for me, it was a really boring lifestyle. So I, because um, I'm not physical at all, and <laughs> it, it required a lot of physicality. Um, and I quickly got involved in the music scene in Newcastle because that's what I was used to. I'd run gigs and stuff since I was a kid. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd written for Street Press. I wrote for um, for Revolver and The Brag for about ten years, doing all the all the punk and hardcore stuff. And uh, I moved to Newcastle, started managing a band up there, got a little bit of Triple J love, and that led to me being asked to run um, a venue there called the Cambridge Hotel. That wasn't Silverchair by any chance, was it? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Novacastrians, um, no, like no, Novacastrians, Novacastrians. I did see them around a fair bit, but um, okay. as everyone in Newcastle does. Yeah. But um, uh, a band I manage uh, are, are pretty unheard of now, but they're called Draw the Line, and they um, they got a couple of singles who managed to get onto high rotation on Triple J, which hadn't really been done since the uh, the Silver Chair, the Screaming Jets days. So yeah. it's a little bit of a novelty in uh, in Newcastle in that regard, but. Uh, I got asked to run the Cambridge, and the Cambridge Hotel is this iconic venue that, um, you know, it's one of the first venues. I think it's the first pub that Silverchair ever played. It's where Midnight Oil and Cold Chisel and all these amazing bands played back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, all the big and pub rock bands it, at the time. That's right. That's yeah. right. Spy versus by all those guys. And, uh, yeah. And it, it got taken over by bikies and turned into a brothel, as all great pubs do. Oh, of course. So <laughs> when the new owner came on board or the new licensee, yeah. um, I, I got this random telephone call. Like I was 23 or something. Like, hey, man, can you come and have a chat with me? So I walk in and he's like, I want to give you a job. And I'm like, well, I've sort of got a job. And he's like, I want to give you another one. Do you want to um, be the entertainment manager? I, we, we want to turn this venue back into what it was in its heyday. And uh, so we went to work and we built it back up to, you know, Newcastle was a laughing stock. I can remember going and seeing all the promoters and they laughed when I said I was, I'd moved to Newcastle and um, <laughs> I was running the Cambridge. They're like, that place is a dump and no one ever makes any money out of Newcastle. That was the comment. Oh, goodness. Um, and we turned it around. So we, it took us uh, 12, 18 months and we, you know, started to get all the touring bands and we got all the internationals to come through and... You know, uh, we we suddenly were packed out every night, and uh, I I to be honest with you, it was no real secret. I loved the Annandale, what the um what the Rule Brothers did, um, Dan and Matt Rule down in um down in Sydney at the Annandale. I just copied that model. I didn't do anything in particularly special. Yeah. Um, you know, we just made sure the staff sort of had that that cool vibe, and uh, you know, got really good sound engineering and you know, good equipment in, and uh, and just made it like a community, and it worked. And it took off and all of that. And the reason I'm sort of explaining that is um, after about, I was there for about four and a half, five years and about 18 months in, I got a 12, 18 months, maybe longer. Yeah. I got a, a call from uh, Hamish, who was the, the um, gentleman who started Moshjigs out of his um, mother's, out of his house, his bedroom at his mum's house. <laughs> and he'd sort of grown it a little bit, sort of, sort of tiny still. Uh, and he rang me and said, look, I've got this ticketing company. Can I come and see you? Yep. And at the point, at that point, Cambridge was, we were hand printing our tickets and we were putting them in all the stores and they were selling out. A lot of shows were selling out before, you know, the night, which in Newcastle was sort of unheard of and, well, for a little, you know, 
for a regular occurrence. And so I really needed a ticketing partner because I couldn't do it myself anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I had staff running around tickets to different venues all the time. And, you know, we were having to open the venue at crazy hours to get because people were lining up to, to buy tickets before they got sold out and all that sort of jazz. So he came up and he sat down with myself and the, the licensee. And the licensee was like, yeah, whatever Josh says goes. He, you know, just trusted me. Yeah. And uh, and Hamish just sort of said, you know, can can we do your ticketing? And I helped him set up all the outlets up and down the coast to, for my own benefit. <laughs> it was because I needed them. Of so course, suddenly, yeah. <laughs> suddenly, all the venues had um had Moshtik's outlets set up, and uh, he he came and saw me again, and he just made an off the cuff remark. He was like, "Look, man, you've turned this venue around. If you ever need a job, you just call." And yeah. fast forward a couple of years, and. I'm literally driving back down to Sydney. We decided to move back down to Sydney, and I didn't have a job. And I'm on the freeway with my with my wife. Um, we're trying to have a kid at the time, so my wife's like, you know, stopped work. She's like, I'm not working. We're going to have a family. Yeah, of and uh, I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? So I messaged Hamish. I'm literally on the freeway. I got my wife to drive, and I'm texting. And by the time I got from Newcastle to Sydney, I had a job at Moshticks. Um, Jeez, that's and, the quickest turnaround for a job I've ever heard of. I know. so Pretty I, amazing. I, I still had to go through an interview process, which was just me making jokes to Hamish and him making jokes back to me, so it was fine. <laughs> the jokes um, are good. Hire it. The jokes are good. Man. Jokes are good. So <laughs> I turn up at, at Moshtix, and, you know, Moshtix had a little bit of a name, but it wasn't it wasn't well-known at all, and it was only known in Sydney and Newcastle yeah. because of the venues. And at the time, I think it did a little bit of Annandale ticketing, a little bit of... The Metro um, did the basement. That was that was sort of the key venue in Sydney. And then I think it had done a festival. Um, and when I came on board, Hamish just said, "Go for it. You're the you're the BDM. Sell it." Luckily, because of all my venue contacts, I knew a lot of people. So it was just going and hanging out with friends. And you know, as a byproduct, like, hey, by the way, I work for Moshtik. Do you want to put all your ticketing through it? So, and they're like, hell yeah. And they're like, well, we need a solution as well. So there was really, it, it, there was a gap in the market because Ticketek and Ticketmaster took their eye off the ball. They looked at um, general admission ticketing as sort of a laugh. They were like, it's 10% of the market. We don't care. We want your generals. You want, we want your seated stadiums and big theatres. We want our money is. VIP passes. You got it. You got it. Well, <laughs> it's more reserved seating. And they didn't care about the Metro. They still don't. Or even though they'll do the ticketing for it, that's why the booking fees are so high because they're just scalping people left, right, and center and giving huge kickbacks to the venue and there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on. So Mosh Ticks um, was there for the common man and woman. The, the whole premise was to reduce the booking fees, to make the booking fees as low as possible. Yeah. Um, that was the, that was really it. It wasn't any any rocket science. So um, And anything that was sort of added on was, was – uh, there's, there's things called rebates that some promoters ask for. You know, they want to cut of the ticketing and blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of sort of, uh, I wouldn't say under-the-table deals, but deals that, that, that get done as, as part of running a venue and, and being a promoter and uh, mm. everyone's out to make a dollar. So yeah. we tried to make those as low as humanly possible and we sort of took over that general emission ticketing market because of it. And because obviously you were so impressive that uh, Rupert decided to buy you guys out. That's right. That's right. So um, that had, that discussion had happened very, very early on, even before I started. Like the, well, Hamish had sort of started to tout looking at selling it. Um, he he wanted to, you know, he is a serial entrepreneur. He wanted to get in and do other things. We all came from the music industry, so we loved what we did. Like I loved my job. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I got to travel. Like I was 
telling my wife in the in the five or six years I worked there, um, I think like twenty five percent of the time I was I was at an airport or on a plane or in another state, and uh, she she doesn't like that statistic because she's like you were never home, but yeah. you know for me it was this amazing lifestyle, um, you know going into all these festivals and all this stuff it was great it was what I always wanted to do, um, and then yeah so Rupert Murdoch bought it. I stayed on and a whole bunch of other people sort of left and did other things and Hamish went off and did a sabbatical and do whatever you do when you when you do make lots of money and um, yeah I stayed on and then I got to tell I, I made him another we had another deal I said if you ever start another business call me and I'll quit my job on the spot and I'll come and we'll come and run it together yep and that's never, uh, oh sorry never, you're saying yeah never expecting that to happen never ever. <laughs> Um, and you know, literally, there's a there's a clause when you when you sell a business that you're not allowed to poach staff for a certain amount of time. Mm, yeah, because it's common what people do. And I think it was seven days after that that expired that I got a telephone call from Hamish like, "Hey, starting another company, quit your job." And that uh, company will be in GoGo, I assume. Company was in GoGo, so I I went and met with him and we sat down and was two other people that I knew who had worked at sort of the Moshtik Spear. And they said, look, we're doing this, this, uh, we haven't got it all 100% sorted out yet, but it's, uh, it's a taxi booking and payment service. And this was before Uber. This is before they were even, I think they were very tiny in the US still. Yeah. They weren't, no, no plans for Australia. Sure. And in um, GoGo, from what I read, it's, um, Josh, it's actually, as of the time of recording, the third largest taxi payment system in Australia, yeah. which is pretty, is. Uh, pretty good, pretty epic, I'd say. So, so is. what is in GoGo? So you said it is a taxi booking service. So how does it work? So is it, it's kind of like Uber, is it? Yeah. It's just, um, the way that I sort of pitch it being the sales manager, I don't, I don't really, I sell just by telling people what things are. I don't really try. <laughs> well, sell it to me. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't really throw it at people. Um, but just imagine uh, Uber, but for, strictly for taxis and for mainly for corporate customers. Okay. So you're a business. You've got staff that need to get around. Um, something like seventy to eighty percent. I think it's seventy something percent of all taxi travel is corporate in Australia. So yep. Most of those companies will not let staff use Uber or not let them use it to any great extent. There's a whole variety of reasons for that, safety and security. Um, there's a whole lot of taxes that, that come on board when you're not in a taxi, you're in a privately owned vehicle. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that, yeah. are, that are a negative for a company to, to use rideshare. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and so that's where we, we sort of fit in that. And we started out doing bookings, then we moved into payments and sort of grew that side of the business. We've now moved back into, or well, now you know, readjusted ourselves to to head for the corporate market. We've just signed a big deal with Qantas. We're, um, you know, we're now a national a national company. We're um, we're in all the major cities, about to go even to all the regional markets. So it's a real growth period for us at at the moment. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those companies, and we're sort of changing a little bit about how we act as well. Where we're starting to be more of a travel management solution. Um, so we have a lot of software that works for the accounting and the um, the receipting side of things for, sure. a, for a company as well, rather than just do a taxi travel. Okay. There's a whole lot of mechanisms that go on board um, in the background that people just don't realize that costs a lot of money for companies to to uh, to account for every month. So we sort of handle all of that as well. Yeah, most people just say, oh, I'll just book through Ingogo and that's it, but there's actually more behind the scenes. Yeah, so for instance... Uh, it's it's really weird, but you do a trip. Say you work for a company. I'm sure lots lots of you listeners do. Mm. They catch a taxi. They get the receipt. They might take a photo of that receipt. They might have to manually do it. But your accounting department will have to actually reconcile every single one of those receipts manually at the end of each month. Yeah. 
And that takes, it takes you on average three minutes to do every taxi receipt put into your system. It takes them 15 to 17 minutes to reconcile every taxi receipt. Yeah, I believe it. 20 minutes, do that by 100 staff, <laughs> and they do three, three trips a week. That's a full-time job for someone. It's, it's crazy. pretty much a job. You can hire someone just to do that. It, and that's what people do. People have yeah. multiple staff, and most most of the things they do for all the expenses is taxi travel. Yeah, especially It'll big be, ones like Qantas, they'll have tons of accountants and stuff, so you should be all right. You got, you got it. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's taking all of that away. So it's yeah. um, yeah, it's not quite. People sort of you know think oh you know you just work in the taxi industry, but it's a yeah uh, we we do a lot of that corporate sort of um you know that that travel management piece as well. Yeah. So does Ingogo, Josh, do you use existing taxi services or do you have your own fleet? We use existing. So okay. we, we deal directly with the drivers. So because the taxi industry is quite, <laughs> it's one of those industries where people think have got quite negative connotations about it. In and, Melbourne too, yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, and quite rightly so. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those industries where they've just been, the drivers act the way they do because they've been... Tr- beaten down and trodden on for so long yeah um by the operators and the networks and there's a whole big story there i won't get into but no. um they're basically just mistreated so they that's why they are um you know people think quite negatively of taxi drivers but it's 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 because of their environment um and and they've got a lot of there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on in that industry yeah absolutely. um and you know so it's 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 one of those things so what we do is we work directly with the drivers so the driver will come on board with Ingogo and most drivers will work five or six days a week, but they'll work for multiple different operators in different vehicles. So we've got the ability to work with them no matter what vehicle they're in. Okay. And that's good that there's that direct access to taxi drivers as well. It's not like you've got to go through different companies or networks to, to get through to them. So there's that kind of personal aspect to it as well. Yeah. And, and look, I have the same connotations that I'm sure a lot of people have, you know, when they when they hear me talk about the taxi industry, going, oh god, you got to deal with taxi drivers, and there is the one or two percent that are exactly what you would assume, but ninety eight percent are absolutely amazing people. They yeah. work so hard. Yeah. I've never seen people who work the hours they work, the rigmarole they have to go through, what they have to put up with, and uh, is phenomenal just to make a living. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like I wouldn't do it for a job. No way. It's too hard. It's too hard. I guess there's always <laughs> bad apples in in any kind of industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Ingogo is doing, uh, doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're growing and uh, we're, um, you know, diversifying. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those you, you uh, diversify or die. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, adapt or die. Right. That's usually my saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's, yeah. That's, 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 that's what we do. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're growing. we Turnover about half a billion dollars a year, I think. I, to be honest with you, I don't keep track of all the numbers. I just, you know, I get shareholder reports like everyone else. And I sort of read them and go, oh, yeah, cool, looking good. Or maybe one day uh, Fairfax or even News Corp again, Rupert might turn around and say, oh, that looks pretty good. Well, we and do I call might... him Uncle Rupert because Uncle of the Rupert. whole oh, Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You might get some big uh, conglomerate or some big corporate billionaire to, to come in as well and, and you know, ah, might be interested. Look, we, Who we, knows? We've, we've obviously done that. But, uh, Lightning will know, strike twice. Yeah, I don't, don't know whether we want that or whether we want to keep it. There's okay. one of those things. We're, we're happy where we are at the moment. That, that's great. What, what would I do? What would I do? <laughs> what would I do? <laughs> exactly. So are you only operating, sorry, within GoGo, are you operating just in Sydney or are you nationwide at the moment? No, we're, we're, we're nationwide. Nationwide, um, yeah. Okay. You can download yeah. the GoGo app right now and, and book a taxi. It'll give you a fixed fare. So one of the big differences is, 
when you book the trip, you put in the pickup and the drop-off, and it will give you a fare for that trip based on current traffic conditions. A fair fare. <laughs> a fair fare. So you're not because a lot of people complain. They say, you know, I get in the cab and the driver drives me around the world and it costs me an extra ten dollars. Yeah. We eliminate that. Good. All right. Well, I'll put those details in the show notes and uh, yeah, oh, cool. a bit about awesome. Ingogo and yeah, if you're keen. Download the app, check it out. sign up, yeah, check, check it out. out. <laughs> awesome, mate. So speaking of one endeavor that you are having at the moment, uh, you actually have another one which uh, has come from your passion from for music, Josh. Uh, mm. You've started, you've actually founded the Music Podcast Network Vibe Machine Media. And uh, for those who may be familiar or who may listen to my Seinfeld podcast, but I don't want to be a secondary character, my uh, fellow co-host Stephen is also involved in that network. He's got a show or two on there at the moment. So uh, you launched that last year in 2018. So so how did that one come about? I assume it was your passion of music that inspired you to mm. do this? That one came about in a really weird sort of way, and it has to do with a friend of mine called uh, called Lindsay McDougall, who's from the band Friends of Rom. If oh, you know Friends of Rom? The Doctor. Um, yeah. The Doctor, Triple yep. J, that's right. So nice. I've known those guys uh, you know, for a long time, and um, I was in Brisbane. I was I was on a Ingogo something in Brisbane, and uh, there's a big music conference that goes on up in Brisbane every year. And I'd managed to rope myself some, some tickets to it. Um, and I was there and I got a, I think I got a text message from Lindsay saying, hey, saw you're, saw you're in town. You know, I'm up here too. Do you want to catch up? So we caught up at a pub and we're sitting there and Lindsay, you know, Lindsay's a great guy and he's sort of saying, you know, I really love what, you, what you've done in, in business. I want to do something like that, you know. Okay. And I've always, I have in the back of my mind always wanted to get back in the music industry. So... I said, all right, let me pitch you what's in my head right now. And I pitched him the idea of a music television show. Oh, yeah, and yeah I was like, MTV too. <laughs> like, yeah, like recovery for, for the new generation. I said, right, you know, um, I would love to do this. And he's like, man, like, let's do it, you know. And I'm sure he was only half joking, and I don't take things half joking. So yeah. literally we flew back individually from Sydney, and I think within two days I had us meeting with uh, um, potential television producers. Um, so we're sort of sitting at, at this table at a restaurant. Lindsay's about to fly off overseas to record some Frenzel album, and I think he had like an hour to spare, and we're just sitting there like pitching this idea off the top of our heads, and these guys are like, look, I think you've got some merit here. Yeah. So that, that went on for a few months, and we we um, we recorded a very, very bad um, pilot in Lindsay's apartment. We did all that sort of that sort of jazz. Yeah. Um, and then we, we went to a, a, a very well-known television producer, one of the guys behind Spicks and Specs. Oh, wow. He, yeah. he was all of a sudden, you know, he was meeting with us saying, you know, I've pitched this to networks and, you know, you have no reason not, you know, not to believe people. And, you know, he's like, you know, I'm going in for a big meeting tomorrow. So we, we gave him all the, all the mock-ups that we've done and everything and went completely silent. And completely silent. Like we could not get hold of the guy. The oh. guy that would talk to us, you know, one of those things. Yeah. And then we found out that he'd got a gig, a really cozy gig, doing a music television show. <laughs> oh, so he took your idea? <laughs> not our idea. Not, oh. not our idea. But but he'd um he'd taken the M- I believe he's behind one of the guys behind MTV Unplugged. Um, but I'm not the new version. But I'm not 100 percent sure of that. But I know that he 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 was pitching um for various things. So he had sort of all of our ideas and everything, and then he just went silent. And so it really took the wind out of what Lindsay and I were doing, and then, you know, Lindsay sort of in his head had moved on, and he he went and got a a radio gig down in Wollongong, which he's loving, Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't don't give up. I just, I can't give up. You just persist. I just persist. Even at my own, 
you know, stupidity or expense. I just do it. Yeah. Um, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to switch this around. I'm going to go find people that are really passionate about it. And I'm going to bring them on board. And we're going to do like an alternative Drupal J. We're going to do a, an online radio station. Which I sounds quadruple P or yeah, quadruple right. Z. Yeah. You got it. You yes, got it. But, nice. but we're going to do it online, digital. So I set that up and we got that running and it was doing, you know, average okay numbers. But we were podcasting all the shows we were doing and we suddenly noticed that people weren't listening to the radio station, but they were listening to the podcast. Yeah. And we were like, this is, and I, I'm not a podcaster, right? Because of all this, I've started listening to a lot of them. And then I, <laughs> I, I sort of, we, we did that for about eight or 10 weeks. And I sat down with everyone and I said, guys, I don't want to do this radio thing. It's really painful. I've got to keep uploading songs all the time. I'm it's boring. And especially um, as well, because with, because I used to be involved in community radio as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I can imagine because there's also, also uh, licensing fees for music and all these yeah, it was really expensive, broadcasting yeah. regulations you have to follow and stuff. So podcasting, even like from my experience, I've been podcasting for a couple of years on, on two shows. And uh, yeah, you, you get that uh, you get that freedom, you know, when you do podcasting. So I could imagine there was less uh, less regulations, less red tape for you to go to become a podcast network. You got it. So, yeah. so we, went, we went away over Christmas and um, one of the people, she'd sort of been involved, um, well-known journalist, but she'd sort of been involved in the television show. We'd brought her in and she'd started on this and then she just, uh, she couldn't get her head headspace right to continue. She got very anxious about, you know, recording, doing interviews um, live and stuff like that, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. So she, she moved away and actually physically moved away from Sydney as well. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I actually... Some of the people I brought on board were um, were Stephen, your your partner, your yep. your Australian Podcast Network um, nom- award nominated um, partner. And congratulations ah. on that as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I think um, when this episode comes out, I think it's going to be the week before the awards. So, well, you're, go- you're going to win. Oh, we'll see. I'd love to. I'd love to win. It'd be nice, but uh, we're up against some pretty uh, stiff competition. So. We'll it's very nice to be nominated. So, but yes, um, thank you. How, <laughs> Appreciate how, it. How, how I was saying how I how I came to have Stephen as part of the network, who's your your co-host, is an interesting story. Back at Boschiks, we had a secretary who worked at News Limited. Her name was Kaylee, and Kaylee was really effervescent. Really wanted desperately to work at Boschiks. She was working at News Limited. She desperately wanted to be part of the Boschiks gang because mm. we were sort of the cool kids in this corporate, you know, oblivion. And uh, she used to always ask, always ask. We eventually brought her on board. So she moved out of being a secretary at the, the, at the reception and, and started working with us at Moshtiks, and she loved it. And I remembered her passion. And I used to see her at shows, and, and, and I knew she was involved in the music industry. So when I was starting this, I reached out to her. And I said, I have no idea what you're doing right now, but do you want to do this? You know, I'll give you I'll give you a bit of the business, but don't even know if it's going to work. It's going to take two years to even get anyone paying attention. Um, do you want to do it? And she was like, Not only do I want to do it, I want to bring my partner Stephen in. Okay, yeah. Um, who's a podcaster and he knows this sort of stuff. <laughs> I was like a genius because I don't know any of this sort of stuff. I just know I want to do something. Yeah. Um, so we brought him on board, and then uh, we found another couple of people that were amazing um, interviewers and and worked for a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, street press and magazines and stuff, both in Australia and the UK. So we brought them on board and we sort of built this little network community and started doing interviews and then started doing our own shows and we started to notice people were, were tuning in and downloading the apps and or downloading the episodes and, and listening. 
Um, and we went, wow, this is this is actually working. And uh, mm. we're only really three months into it now, but you know we're not doing too bad. It's not it's not setting the world on fire, um, but we are growing every month, which is amazing. And we're getting more and more people download each each episode. We're getting great feedback, which is which is what you want. And uh, you know I'm under no no uh, you know I, I understand the process you have to go through, and it does take you know you have to have that that history of shows and you've got to have sort of a catalog mm-hmm. there to have people really, I mean, you know what it's like. You've, it's sort of one of those things where, where people come on board after you've been going a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People are pretty keen to get involved. Yes. Yes. So, so yeah, so we're sort of building, building up, um, Vibe Machine Media and, uh, that, that's sort of where, uh, where, where it's at at the moment. And I'm, I'm in the process of doing a really big series at the moment. I'm, I'm a huge, um, Album artwork guy, I love album artwork. It's one of my passions. Oh yeah, I have, yeah. I have a, a room in my house that's framed with all vinyl covers, all signed by the not only the you know I've got members of Nirvana signed, Nevermind, but I've also got the artist who who did the artwork for Nevermind signed it as well. So I'm a real obsessive about it. That's fabulous. So, so I'm doing a podcast series on that, and uh, started out with one guy, and I'm now I'm now uh, 13 recorded episodes in, and uh, it's going to be about 20. And yep. I've got literally the guys who did all the, all the Beatles artwork, the Beastie Boys artwork, yeah, incredible Metallica, all these amazing people to to do this series. It's um, it's sort of like my passion project. So I can't. I'm going to release it all at once in May. So it's going to be. It's like my. It's taking up all of my spare time. Yeah, well, <laughs> I could imagine you know, speaking to people like that because we did talk about it off air, Josh, and uh, I was saying that I could imagine these artists probably don't get too many people often who want to interview them, so they're probably pretty uh, pretty wrapped when uh, someone like you comes along and says, "Hey, let's talk about that album cover you did in the '60s." You know? Yeah, I well, love it. And some of them are incredible stories. There's this. So a lot of the artists I ask what their favorite artwork is, and a lot of them come back and say The Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and Infinite Sadness. So, oh, that's a beautiful album cover. Beautiful yeah. album cover. So yeah. I interviewed the dude who did it. Um, the guy who did that album cover is an incredible guy. And it turns out that he also did uh, 60s and 70s artwork for like Rod Stewart and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has an amazing story. He's a real collage artist because it's all collage, that Smashing Pumpkins album and you should look up how that's made it's absolutely incredible every single piece is collaged um like the stars and all that come from like encyclopedias and the the woman on the front cover is actually from two well-known paintings um that are actually collaged together and that the paintings are 300 years apart in in when they were created it's incredible yeah that's incredible Um, yeah and he also did rod stewart artwork and the funniest story he had i'll tell you this really great story i was asking you know there's an album that Rod Stewart did called Never a Dull Moment. And the front cover is just, it looks like Rod Stewart sitting in a room just like looking really bored. Right. And I said, how did you get that? And he goes, well, all I had was some live footage of Rod Stewart, some live photos. And I had a picture with him sort of looking a bit bored on yeah. stage. Yeah. And I found this athlete's foot um, advertisement from the 1930s. And it's a dude sitting in a room, um, you know, screwed athlete's foot so I removed the guy and put Rod Stewart's head in and that's the album cover <laughs> and I was like that is genius How, who the hell thinks of that oh people um, do yeah the, the spark and, just lights and, and you've got something and, yeah and he's built a whole career around doing that so um, you know just listening to people and listening to the guy who did Nirvana's Nevermind and how he came up with that because Kurt Cobain originally wanted a stillbirth uh, not a stillbirth sorry a water birth <laughs> yeah. he actually wanted to, 
he wanted a photo of a water birth happening. Mm. And Robert Fish is like, dude, I don't think that's going to cut it that's on a the front far. cover. That's a that's a bit far fetched. But he literally said, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he actually he actually pitched it all up. He actually went and got a picture of a baby and collaged it onto this thing and did all the artwork, everything, and gave it to Kirk Cobain. And Kirk Cobain goes, I love that. Yeah. Let's do it. So then they got a photographer to actually take photos of babies and they put the real baby on. That's The real baby so cool. on, yeah. And for and those who might not be familiar with that album cover, Nevermind by Nirvana, that has a picture of a baby in a swimming pool chasing a, a dollar, uh, you know, some money floating in the pool, and uh, the baby's fully naked. So, And if you do not know that album cover, there is something wrong. It is the most iconic album cover of the last 30 years, I At think. At least, um, yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the all-time great covers but yeah listening to the guys named robert fisher put it um um talk about how how quickly it came together and how effortlessly he did it mm. um you know and talk about how he's like if i had known this this would be the album of the century i, I would have buckled under the pressure but it's just some unknown band that i liked that i i helped out so it was yeah. cool stories like that yeah that's awesome i can't wait to hear that series that'd be amazing oh. i'm i'm very looking i'm looking forward to releasing it um, I am. Uh, it is literally my passion. It is what I work on when, it, as soon as I get home at night. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of me with this podcast and my Seinfeld one as well. Yeah, it becomes they're, they're addictive, right? Well. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, I, I love. I love doing interviews like this as well. I yeah. think it's great, and uh, yeah, it's good to talk to people and hear their stories. Yeah, and and I know I'm talking a lot, and I I you're and, the guest. <laughs> I'm the guest, and it's I, your, and your I episode. And you do what you like. <laughs> I know, and it's really funny whenever these whenever I'm interviewing other people, they. They, um, you know, they talk. I, I interviewed a guy from a band called Mr. Big yesterday. If you remember Mr. Big, oh yeah, is it, they do that. Oh, they they they're like a, I guess, like an alternative rock band, aren't they? Originally, but they had that yeah. one that one acoustic song that went. Yeah, yeah, really to big. be with you. Yeah, um, yeah, I can and, picture that. Uh, but yeah, he's also, yeah. but they're huge in like Europe and Japan still, just not so much over here. Um, and I interviewed him yesterday, and he was incredible. He was telling me how he. How he was doing shows with Iggy Pop and David Bowie was playing keyboards. Ah, oh, nice! You know, hanging out with Bon Scott playing pool—just incredible stuff you wouldn't expect. So it's it's the stories that you find out that you don't expect. Yeah, well, I can um, I can really hear the passion in your voice, so I have a feeling that passion is going to resonate in those episodes. So I oh I yeah, think, you get I think me talking about <laughs> about music or album artwork, man. I'm gone. Oh forever. man, this this podcast will go for a couple of hours then if we yeah yeah. My, my wife, she 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 she, wanted, she just rolls her eyes, puts her headphones on, and you know she doesn't want to hear. <laughs> She's, She's heard like, it so many times. I've heard your story about never mind a hundred times. Yeah, I know. I, know. I, I keep telling her, I'm like, this is so great. This to this. She's like, I I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I'm sure she appreciates it in her own. Oh, in in, in a roundabout way, she gets yeah. a little bit sick of the uh, of the. The album covers constantly on walls and stuff in our house. That's about. But what can you do? That, that, that's life, and that's your passion. So why not? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so Josh, you've been involved, as you know, as we've talked about, in a couple of successful ventures, and uh, Vibe Machine and Ingogo are doing uh, pretty well. So I guess because for some people who may be listening, they're probably aspiring entrepreneurs, or you know, they've got a project or some kind of thing that mm. they want to get involved. I mean, what tips do you have for aspiring people like that? A couple of things, yeah, and it's what I've what I've learned, and I've learned it the hard way because I can be really lazy when I want to be. But um, but I I got given the advice: never give up. If you have an idea, if you don't do it, someone else will every yeah. time, mm-hmm. and you will sit there and you'll go, "I had that bloody idea and I didn't do it," and it's going to be hard, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. It, or it'll cost you every cent you have. If you have 50 bucks, it's going to cost you 50 bucks. 
If you have five grand, it's going to cost you five grand, mm. right? It's that that's just fact. It's going to drain you. If I didn't um, do this podcast, someone will come out with one in six months called "In Sydney Last Night" instead of "In it, Melbourne right? Last Week," and I'll be right? like, "Damn it!" <laughs> and you'll probably have to get to fifty or hundred episodes before before it builds. But that's 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 the process you've got to go through. But if you don't do it, you will always regret not doing it, and then you'll watch someone else do it. Wow! Even if it fails. Even if it completely falls over, at least you gave it a try. And my second, so my second piece of advice is, if it fails, don't give up. Adapt. Change. Be, you've got to be willing to change your idea. I started doing a crazy-ass idea of doing an online radio station, which was just stupid in the, you know, when you think about it, but I learned how to do podcasting from it. Yeah. So I went away and I adapted it to podcasting. Where I end up from here will probably not be where I am right now. No, I, I may stop, but I may have I may have got the knowledge to do something else from it. And it's about adapting and and being willing to, to do that and, and being willing not to give up. And everyone will laugh at you. You you have no idea when we started Moshticks and when when I started there how many people laughed at me because everyone thought it was a stupid company name. No one had ever heard of it. Um, and by the end, every Everyone I knew had heard of Moshtix. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and that's why they laugh because they're the people who um, will always think that you're crazy. Yeah. And or, but they're the people who don't ever do it. Yeah. So you can either be a sheep or or not be. It's 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 it, the power's in your hands. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like this podcast and my Seinfeld one I do with Stephen as well. It's kind of like we had this crazy idea and uh, suddenly, you know, for, especially for Bidwabash, the Seinfeld one, we're, we're kind of going places, which is great. So, uh, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Ab- it's absolutely incredible. And it's something that, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, Stephen, when he talks about that, he talks with such passion about it, like you do. Yeah. And, uh, and who cares? I always think, who cares if no one pays attention? If you like what you're doing, do it. Yeah. Someone eventually will pick up on your passion. That's right. Wow. Really wise words to finish up on, Josh. <laughs> You've inspired me, mate. Oh, well, go. You, you've inspired me. Like, honestly, <laughs> honestly, it was, it was Stephen's um, podcasting that, 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 got me, um, that got me thinking we could do this. So, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. He'll be happy to hear that. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Well, I've put up with him for, you know, over 100 episodes as of this time of this recording for uh, Bisbal Bass. So, uh, yeah, he he seems pretty all right. (laughs) Excellent. And I hear, hear, before we go, I hear that you're going to have Jerry Seinfeld on an episode. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Actually, I did get in touch with Jerry and uh, he was over talking over coffee. His manager took the call and uh, they were like, oh, we might hook something up. <laughs> that would be oh, no. amazing. Yeah, no, unfortunately not at the moment. <laughs> It'll happen. Oh, don't, one day. Don't ever don't ever give up. Send that extra email. That's there you go. It'll work. Oh, excellent, mate. Well, Josh Kiff, thank you so much for being with me tonight and uh, it was a good chat. No worries. Thanks, Ivan. Have a great day, mate. Yeah, you too. That was in Melbourne last week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm always looking for guests, so if you're doing something extraordinary and you wish to share it on the podcast, be sure to send me an email at inmelbournelastweek at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Links to those are in the show notes. You can find In Melbourne Last Week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time with another episode with another special guest. Take care.